0: Meter is produced in part using Source Connect, made by Source-Elements.com. And now, your hosts, Paul Stefano and Sean Gailey.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Episode 53 of the VO Meter,
2: measuring your voice over progress. Today, we're really happy to have our second-only repeat guest, Hugh Edwards from Gravy for the Brain, and high score productions and we're going to talk about the one voice conference that went totally virtual the first ever live voiceover conference online and we'll talk to him about the wins and the the, uh, challenges he had and how it went overall
1: but before we get into that it's time for our VO meter reference levels
0: voiceover extra brings you the VO meter reference levels uh seriously guys that's the best you could come up with hey it's your show
2: so, Sean, what's happening in your VO world?
1: Well, it's actually been a pretty busy uh, couple of weeks. Um, a nice balance of VO education for myself and uh, and others. I don't know if I mentioned this, but, like, last month, I started doing Eliza Jane Schneider's uh, Dialect Masterclass. The thing about me, I always had an ear for accents growing up, but I really wanted to try and get back into that. And um, Eliza's got a wonderful course. It's almost like a university-level course on, like, dialect mastery and kind of using a lot of linguistics principles to, to learn accents. And that's something that particularly resonates with me. So I've, uh, like, we just met yesterday and worked on our southern accents, and I've, I've been really having fun with that, so that's nice. And then I'm really excited to, to start practicing British and other European stuff coming up in the weeks ahead, and or other VO education stuff. It's been a great month for GVAA. Our membership has... Uh, almost doubled in the last month, and so I've been really busy trying to to help people out, leading peer-led workouts myself, and kind of directing our new members to the workouts and coaches that they might be interested in working with. We had a wonderful Q and A session earlier this week. A lot of people were asking about questions about demos and this whole trend of video demos, and like, is that is like what's the legitimacy of that? And just demos in, def- and in general. And and ironically enough, a lot of people don't know that we do demo production at GVAA, even though it's at our website and we promote them often. But what you going to do? And and this week, we've actually, let's see, we just had a workout with Steven Reesburg on Sunday. It was really great to see him. He said such nice things about me. We were all kind of feeling the pinch of isolation. And he was just like, man, I'm so grateful for these positive workouts and working on scripts with people. And he, he sung my praises for a minute, so that was a nice little ego boost. And then we've got one more uh, on Friday with Carol Monda uh, leading commercial and audiobook stuff. So on
2: the, um, the video demo talk, did you have any, any uh, discussions around copyright? Because I'm always curious about that. I've done a few myself where I've taken existing footage and put my voice to it and then put it back out on either social media or YouTube. And I'm wondering if you had any talks about how those copyright issues affect that.
1: Well, that's what we were curious about. And I'm, uh, I'm a little concerned about that because that's already been produced and stuff like that. Because I know we were talking about how there's some people who are actually offering like video services where, for those who aren't aware, uh, are video demo services. And that's where they take kind of appropriate imagery that would match the spots that you have on your audio demo. So basically that it looks like um, like fini- like recent work basically like that and demos are interesting and like people have, have brought up this question a couple of times in the various social media groups like what is it is it all right to use real brands and stuff like that and like yes because we're not marketing anything directly other than our voiceover services we're not trying to sell coke or pepsi or whatever we're just trying to sell our ability to do a spot like that but Again, you have to be careful because you don't want to just like transcribe word for word these commercial spots because you might come up with an agent who's like, you didn't do that spot. I cast that spot. So that that would be disingenuous and could be could cause issues. But um, so that's why it's important to kind of to adapt scripts, to make changes, to make them sound like it's not uh, like I said, that's not disingenuous and you're not misrepresenting yourself. So with the visual component, like I said, you don't want to just take pre, like finished spots and then just be like, oh yeah, I totally did that. So you might just want to use like, uh, royalty-free video footage that would be appropriate for these things. And we are talking about how, whether or not you should take advantage of some of these video demo production services, or maybe just kind of once you're working a lot more and like kind of that cart before the horse mentality. Like once you have some projects under your belt, whether they be commercial or animation or whatever, just compile video from those pieces and then hire your own editor to cobble them together. It like would probably cost much less.
2: Yeah, that's certainly an option. I think to your point about the scripts, I think it falls under the, the fair use category of, um, of usage where it can be kind of sticky, but like you said, the understanding is if you're not trying to basically... Poach customers or represent yourself as part of that brand, and I think you're okay using it for demo purposes. But it is interesting. I've taken the approach of just having every spot that I can get my hands on on my own website in individual encapsulated pieces that people can go click on, just that individual spot. I think even that helps a lot. I, I don't know how many people do that, but just having the evidence that you've actually been working, I think, helps a lot.
1: Like I said, the goal is to show that you're a capable of capable of doing those projects. And where people find it's disingenuous is like I haven't done these things before, but I'm creating this sort of illusion, illusory marketing materials to say that I did. So I don't know, I guess it, it just kind of uh, depends on what you're comfortable with and like creating a marketing or er, marketing a marketing strategy that makes sense to you.
2: I know it works. Trey Mosley, who we had on a couple of months ago, has landed some big clients by taking footage and adding his voice to it and creating commercials for companies that didn't already have video commercials. And they signed him up and said, yeah, we love that. Make us one. <laughs> so cool. it can work. And about, I want to talk about your uh, Eliza Jane Schneider uh, course. Uh, you've mentioned it's, it's going great so far. How much of it is self-study versus in-person, or I guess at this point, video conference sessions?
1: So basically we meet once or twice a month, depending on if she... Um Like she has what are called her performance labs as well as her office hours because this is, like I said, this is really structured as like pretty much like a university level course and you really get what or get out what you put into it so there are a lot of resources on it and you really should familiarize yourself with everything that's available to you and she's got a number of pre-recorded lessons and homework assignments that you submit to her uh and she'll either respond to you via email or during one of those office hour sessions but it's a good mix uh i think and like i said i mean the woman is a freaking genius when it comes to uh, accent acquisition and practice, but what was actually really encouraging was the fact that even someone who's got the ear for it and the innate ability that she does, or she's completely honest about how much work she does every day to to really nail an accent and to continue to build her repertoire and her ability on the accents that she does. And, and I'm a big fan of people who because a lot of people think that with voiceover in general it's just something that you either can or you can't. You're talented or you're not. And while there is an element of innate talent, I think it doesn't mean like there's so much other or like there's so much skill involved that those can be taught. And honestly, it just takes practice. Most of the people who got into VO had acting backgrounds and practiced for years before they even got in front of a mic. So I think it's easy to forget that it's just the whole adage of an overnight success in five years is very true.
2: Yeah, it takes uh, 10,000 hours to master any any task or any any skill, so I'm not even close to that yet. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful on the, on the accent course. I'm actually interested in that myself. I may may look into it. Uh, Anything else? Yeah, especially
1: if you do, uh, especially if you do audiobook work. Yeah, um, I mentioned it on the last episode, but I also started teaching uh, sort of a 100 series uh, for a local independent art school, and it was really good because I mean, originally I was going to actually go to a university and teach these classes in person, but uh, then COVID happened, and so luckily I was still able with my experience with GVAA. I was able to kind of go to the coordinators like, look, I feel particularly confident that we can teach this remotely. And through a combination of pre-recorded lessons and Zoom lectures and performance practice, it's been going really well. We're, uh, we just finished our third session on last Saturday and we'll have our final one for this 101 course this coming Saturday. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive. So, if anything, though, my problem is that I tend to go over time because I'm just too generous with my feedback. <laughs> but it's been a really uh, it's it's been a really enjoyable experience. And nothing, granted, teaching isn't for everyone. I do have a, a background in masters in education, so so it's something that I'm particularly passionate about. But they say that nothing will help you solidify a skill than being able to teach it to someone else. And so I feel like I've kind of it's gotten me to be more confident in my own abilities because I'm like, oh, wow, I know my stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it,
1: that, that's that been really enjoyable.
2: I think I mentioned I had the exact same uh, epiphany when I was talking to the middle school kids on career day. I was blurting out all this uh, this direction on how to break down a character. And at the end, I thought, I don't do that myself normally, but I do know how to. I just need to get my butt in gear and actually do it when I'm reading a script. So,
1: yeah. Oh, it's so much easier to do it objectively with someone else, right?
2: Yeah, of course. It's easier to direct somebody else, I think.
1: Mhm. Which is and that's something that I talk about the workouts all the time. Like I encourage people to to try and give feedback. It might not always be great and just be honest if it doesn't work, but I really feel like the easiest way to learn self-direction is to try directing, right? Direct someone else, build that vocabulary and cuz if you can make someone's else's performance is better, chances are you can do that for yourself, too. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So that's all, like, the VO education stuff that I've been doing. I've actually been doing some VO. Don't worry, guys. So I just finished the initial read-through of the book I've been working on, so I'm waiting to get the uh, the proofed chapters back from my editor so I can just kind of get all of those pickups taken care of, hopefully, this weekend. And other than that, I just worked on, like, an eight-page e-learning project on flexible work options, which is ironic because everyone's trying to work from home now anyways. So mm-hmm. um, so I think employers are looking at opportunities to to encourage their employees to telecommute and telework and things like that. Um, and then other than that, I've just been auditioning a lot, found a cool job opportunity, uh, a couple cool opportunities that I'm waiting to hear back from a colleague had mentioned that he and his client are trying to develop a uh, like a sleep bedtime story app you know you might have heard of things like calm um, and where people are telling stories in a very relaxing calming cadence to help people fall asleep who might have insomnia or anxiety things sorry, like what? that sorry what I fell asleep for a second there <laughs> 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 but a <laughs> Paul usually falls asleep when I talk, but anyways, so so that was something that I was particularly passionate about. Is someone who's struggled with insomnia and likes helping people. So I was excited about that, and then I found out about this business who was interested in a uh, narrator for a long term contract helping out with uh, food services and corporate training and e-learning modules. So I was like, that's me to a T. Wow, that's going to uh, be so huge really ex- in the
2: next coming months. As every restaurant in the world has to adjust all their policies and procedures for COVID.
1: Oh, I can imagine. Absolutely. But anyways, I've been ranting for like 20 minutes. <laughs> what 24, I, you, Paul, actually. What have you... <laughs> oh, well, thanks for keeping me on track. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, what have you been up to, Paul?
2: Uh, if I think I know who you're talking about, I actually put in a, a sample for that same Bedtime Story app. So I'll be interested to see how that comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been working on some audiobooks. Uh, I just just finished one. Did I talk about this? No, I don't think I did. The Hockey Romance that I mentioned in the last episode, we just completed and sent to the rights holder this week, me and my partner, nice. uh, Shore. And then we landed another one today. This one is a, is an erotica title. This will be under our pseudonyms, which I will not disclose at this moment. But it's the first duet narration that I've, I'm going to attempt remotely. And we talked in our last episode to Jeffrey and Heather, and Jeffrey said basically it can't be done. So I'm going to prove you wrong, Jeffrey. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to make it happen.
1: What? What? Is there no such thing as duerotica?
2: No, duet remotely, because... Um,
1: oh, oh.
2: Jeffrey and Heather mostly record in the same studio in, in L.A., and I'm not because Avon's in Nova Scotia, and I'm here in Baltimore. So we did the, first, we did the audition as a duet, and that really helped us seal the deal because uh, I'm going to give out a little bit of a marketing secret here. I saw the title on ACX, and it was just listed as a regular male or female single narrator. But I read the, the script and said, this is a, this is a duet so i approached the the, the rights holder just in the messaging system without even auditioning and said me and my partner would love to do this as a duet have you thought about that and they said i didn't think that was possible on because uh, the royalty share plus deal where they pay you a stipend mm-hmm. a portion of your per finished hour rate and then also the royalties and i said sure i'll just one of us will pay the other one out of pocket for paid per finished hour and then we'll do the royalty share and they were like great that was that's basically our dream so that just nailed us the project right away but we recorded the audition as a duet we did live punch and roll and it it's a little clunky but i'm pretty confident we can make it work it worked for the audition and i'm pretty sure i can make it work for the book if not there's really no turning back now but we will make it work
1: (laughs) well there's other things you can do too i guess where like one person records and the other one listens back and then tries to do it that way um yeah we can do it with an open recording. what exactly were you
2: what was that? We could do it with an open record situation, too. But I think it would be a mess mm-hmm. for the editing, either for me or uh, both of us usually outsource our editing. So to either my editor or Ava's narrator, it would be tough to do.
1: Yeah. So logistically, what did you guys do for the audition, or how do you plan to approach it?
2: Well, exactly like we're doing now, basically. I ran the same, the same process I'm doing now, where we dialed up on a, on a voice over IP program, and Aven was talking while I was talking, and she just listened in while I was doing my parts, and I listened in while she was doing her parts, and I just slapped them together. Uh, I ran some room tone from my studio underneath both, and it matched up pretty well.
1: Nice. Very cool. Getting creative. And, I mean, if, if there is any... Uh, <laughs> if there's one thing that we can learn from all of these things, it's I love the idea of just reaching out to these people directly and providing them with... A product that they hadn't are being creative with the services we can provide like it's with your story about Trey with what you just did with this author it's really really helpful I think
2: yeah the more the more um, arrows you can have in your quiver the that's the right term right the more the more chance mm-hmm. you have to actually hit the bullseye I just made that up but I like it basically the more the more opportunities you you give yourself the more you're actually apt to land so it's similar to what I've been doing with twin flame studios which is the next thing I should mention doing is uh, I'm now through four author-recorded books, with me recording them completely remotely in my studio from all over the country. And I'm working on another one this week, where they're narrating, I'm recording, and I edit it on the fly, or a little bit afterwards too, but it can be done if you just think outside the box a bit. Very cool. And then, um, I don't really have a whole lot else going on, individual voice work, just the audio but. It's enough to keep me busy and I'm, I'm always thankful for it.
1: I was about to say, isn't that enough?
2: <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm not uh, complaining.
1: All right, so we'll get to our interview with Hugh in just a few minutes, but before that, a word from our sponsors, Vocabooth2Go. Vocabooth to go's patented acoustic blankets are an effective alternative to expensive soundproofing. Often used by vocal and voiceover professionals, engineers, and studios as an affordable soundproofing and absorption solution. We make your environment quieter for less.
2: Fantastic. And uh, also, I'm proud to announce the return of the...
0: Questionable Gear Purchase.
2: So finally, something to report on the Questionable Gear Purchase front. By the way, if listeners out there want to have their story either talked about on the podcast or if you want to come on and actually be interviewed about your Questionable Gear Purchases, we'd love to hear about it. You can either make a comment on our Facebook page, or Sean, you can email him di- directly.
1: Yeah, you can email me at sean, S-E-A-N, at dailyvo, that's daily as in everyday, vo.com. That's right, you can reach me out at that email. And so tell us, Paul, I've been chomping at the bit to hear about some new gear.
2: Yeah, so my headphone journey is, is progressing. I'm not sure if it's come to an end, but I first bought the BSW, the Broadcast Studio, no, Broadcast Supply worldwide's uh, version of the Audio Technica headphones. They're a special edition, made just for mm-hmm. them. They're called the ATH BSW, and they come in a five pack for tw- uh, one hundred nine dollars on sale right now. So, I reached out to some of the colleagues on the voice um, on the Voiceover Collective, and Tim Friedlander, friend of the show that's been on, bought four of the others. No, sorry, three of the others from me, and Marielle Nival bought the other pair. So I kept one and sent the rest off meaning i paid a total of what 20 22 dollars for these and they're okay i'm wearing them right now they are definitely more soundproof than the ones i have at the at the uh, the editing bay and they sound okay but they're not they're definitely broadcast headphones they actually call them broadcast headphones i wouldn't say they're something i can use for really technical work like editing and listening for mouth clicks and background noise and things like that but they work okay for in the booth which is what really what i need i need one that would fit inside the booth and be silent while we're doing the podcast, doing coaching and other live sessions. But then I also started to have some pain in my ears on the outside where I was doing editing with my AKG 240s. i have since discovered I think it's from wearing an actual medical mask. So (laughs) wherever we go these days, we have to wear a mask inside the the stores or the the retail establishments. Mm -hmm. So I've been wearing a mask that uh, one of our neighbors made for me Is out of fabric. And it's a little small, so it pushes my giant ears down, so they're basically folded Ew. over. I look like chunk from the Goonies—not <laughs> junk, um, sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> no. Ears all deformed oh, no, and bent down. Oh no, that's even worse. Yeah, so I think that was what I was actually causing the pain in my ears, not the AKGs. But in order to alleviate that, I went searching for some in-ear monitors or IEMs that would sort of alleviate the pressure on the ears. So I went and bought the triple—the one more triple-driver uh, in-ear monitors. And it's doing the job. They're they're pretty good. Again, I would say they're not the most detailed. If there's something really detailed I need to listen to, I think I have to switch to the to the overhead cans. But I've been editing audiobooks all week, and they are picking up mouth clicks and background noise. So I think I can wear them for 90% of what I do editing, and that will alleviate some of the pressure I had on, on the outside of my ears. And I think it'll help a lot. So that's where I am right now. I'm still open to suggestions from the listeners or fans, if you have any others you really love. But... I'm going to stick with this, these two pair for right now.
1: Nice. I'm happy to hear you like the the One Mores because I have them, and I don't know. It, I might have a bum pair. They might have gone out, but I just don't love the sound as much as I used to when I first got them. I mean, the design is great, and it comes in beautiful packaging and all that, but I don't know. Just not as happy with the sound as when I got it. And I know a long time ago, Jerry Pelletier did uh, sort of a comparison on Facebook if you look him up. And then recently on the audio or the pro audio suite, Andrew Peters did a whole episode on in-ear monitors and found a, a pair of Audio Technica ones that he really liked. Oh, really? So and what surprised? Yeah, and what surprised me is that on a recent episode of Vobs, Dan Leonard, like the home studio master, was like, "Yeah, sometimes I just use my Apple earbuds." I was like, "Really?" It's like well, granted have- you're not mixing, like, but and, and and I've done it too in the past. But it's nice to know that like. When in a pinch, you can just use earbuds for mono-track voiceover. So. Well, I have seen a couple of review sites,
2: especially sound engineer sites. I can't remember the exact one I went to, but I found this long list, like 17 pages long, of every in-ear monitor available rated from A-plus to, to F. And <laughs> there were some really expensive you know, 800 know, $900 models in the A-plus categories, but the regular old Apple... AirPods, the wireless ones, came in at a B plus, and were wow. made it certainly usable. So maybe they are. Maybe they do sound okay. I can never wear them because they don't fit in my ear; they just fall out. But uh, oh. that's why I went with the the triple, the one more triple drivers. Oh, speaking nice. of yeah, your pair, was... they might be counterfeit. Have you thought of that? Because I read some, well, some I did. issues I... about that. I...
1: I did, but I mean like the from what I looked at, the the branding looked correct, the packaging looked all great. And it was and the one I have was actually one of their more initial releases. Like it was really I feel like a lot of the budget went into the design of the packaging itself. But yeah, no, it did not I I looked at some of the pictures and it didn't really match that description, but that is a very good point. So I don't know. And and it just makes you wonder, like, I mean Amazon's wonderful, but Sometimes if you if there's an important piece of gear you're looking for, you might be better served going to an audio supplier.
2: Yeah, makes sense. So have you had any purchases this this week month?
1: Surprisingly not. I mean've I've looked at a lot of things and um, like I actually contacted a friend of the podcast, Jim Edgar recently, and I was like, talk me off the ledge, Jim. I've been looking <laughs> into mics and um and he's like, well, let me see what you got. And so I sent him, like, samples from my, my 416 and my Gefell M930. And he's like, well, talk about spoils of riches. Like, <laughs> you're fine. Learn to use what you got more. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a, um, that's a
2: wise decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've once you get to a certain point, there really is no point to upgrade. And, like, and with things being so uncertain and unstable right now, it's just not the time requestable gear purchases don't get me wrong there's a bunch of new things i'd love to get like an ipad pro or a new mac but that'll come when it ne- like when it makes sense or when whatever i have finally bites the dust
2: all right so let's wrap it up there because we've been rambling for a long time we're at 38 minutes yeah so we'll get to our interview with hugh edwards in just a moment right after these words from
0: our sponsors As a voice talent, you have to have a website. But what a hassle getting someone to do it for you. And when they finally do, they break or don't look right on mobile devices. They're not built for marketing and SEO. They're expensive. You have limited or no control. And it takes forever to get one built and go live. So what's the best way to get you online in no time? Go to voiceactorwebsites.com. Like our name implies, voiceactorwebsites.com just does websites for voice actors. We believe in creating fast, mobile-friendly, responsive, highly functional designs that are easy to read and easy to use. You have full control. No need to hire someone every time you want to make a change. And our upfront pricing means you know exactly what your costs are ahead of time. You can get your voiceover website going for as little as $700. So if you want your voice actor website without the hassle of complexity and dealing with too many options, go to voiceactorwebsites.com, where your VO website shouldn't be a pain in the you-know-what. How many times has this happened to you? You're listening to the radio when this commercial comes on. Not unlike this one. And this guy starts talking. Not unlike myself. Or maybe it's a woman that starts talking. Not unlike myself. And you think to yourself, geez, I could do that. Well, mister. Well, missy. You just got one step closer to realizing your dream as a voiceover artist. Because now there's Global Voice Acting Academy. All the tools and straight from the hip, honest information you need to get on a fast track to doing this commercial yourself. Well, not this one
3: exactly.
0: Classes, private coaching, webinars, home studio setup, marketing and branding help, members-only benefits like workouts, rate and negotiation advice, practice scripts, and more. All without the kind of hype you're listening to right now. Go ahead, take our jobs from us. We dare you. Speak for yourself, buddy. I like what I do. And you will, too, when you're learning your craft at Global Voice Acting Academy. Find us at globalvoiceacademy.com
3: because you like to have fun.
0: Okay, everybody,
2: welcome to the interview portion of this episode of the V.O. Meter. We're pleased to welcome back, and only our second repeat guest ever, the founder and and head of Gravy for the Brain, Hugh Edwards, who's here mostly to talk to us about the One Voice Conference, which just happened. But we're going to talk a little bit about how he's weathering the COVID-19 situation first before we get into that. So welcome, Hugh. Thanks for being here again.
3: Hey guys, how are you doing? It's lovely to be back.
1: Doing all right, as well as we can. Uh, so before we joined it on the call, we were sort of talking about this, but how has this current situation affected operations over at Gravy for the Brain?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, it, look, this is, uh, it's unprecedented times, right? And uh, I, I mean, we're, well, me personally, I, I'm, I'm really lucky. Uh, I, I live out in the middle of the country, kind of in the middle of nowhere, really, uh, in a little tiny village of about 100 people. And I can see currently out of my window fields and trees, cows and sheep and things like that. So uh, for me personally, I've been able to, to go out and you know, do bike rides and go for walks and things. Um, so I, I mean, I feel so sorry for all those people who are, who are locked up in, in cities, in, in high rises and stuff who just can't get out, it must be awful. But I'm very thankful that, that here, um, it's, it's, actually, it's actually not been too bad. Um, and at Gravy for the Brain, we uh, again, we've been quite lucky. Um, so the rules here in the UK state that uh, you can, you can, well, y- you have to work from home as long uh, as you can work from home. If you absolutely can't, then you can go back into the office, but you have to remain socially distanced. So Gravy for the Brain is actually um, uh, has its own office in a set of uh, offices uh, in in one location in in Banbury, and just by default the way our desks happen to be laid out are are socially distanced and so when we did the One Voice Conference uh, we were able to go back there and all maintain adequate distance and uh, and I will still be in the same office. Uh, I say all; it was, it was a small portion of us. Um, mm-hmm. So everybody else here is uh, in the team. They're, they're all at home uh, on a day-to-day basis. Everyone seems to be doing okay. Morale is pretty high, I have to say. And then everybody that that kind of runs the the different offices around the world, like J. Michael Collins and Bev Standing and Graham and uh, Sarah, Rona, uh, Toby, they're, they're all they're all doing pretty well, uh, and everyone's kind of spirits are high.
1: That's awesome. So, in addition to Gravy for the Brain, you also do a lot of work in the video game industry as a caster and director. Has your job changed much in the current climate?
3: Uh, Yes, it has. Um, I don't know if everybody is aware of this or not, but I actually own three businesses. Uh, The first one is called High Score Productions, and that's the one where I do all of my production stuff. So, I've got a, a small team who work basically doing casting and direction and dialogue recording. Then I own uh, half of Gravy for the Brain with Peter and a separate company as well called Reattendance. Uh, everyone knows what Gravy for the Brain is. Reattendance is an online virtual platform uh, which hosts virtual events, uh, as some of you may have seen with, uh, with the One Voice Conference, if, if you attended that early on in the year. So High Score, uh, the first company, has pretty much fallen off a cliff, as you'd imagine, because <laughs> the, the vast majority of our, of our work is done in studios. Although I do direct from time to time remotely, it's maybe 5% of my business. The vast majority of stuff we do is, is in uh, pro recording studios, you know. So um, everything was put on hold. The last job I did uh, was a job for Netflix, um, which was a, a really good show called Into the Night. Um, which is out now Um, and that uh, I was doing the the English dubbing Uh, It's originally a French-Belgian film and that one ended two weeks after the lockdown happened in the UK so for the last couple of weeks I was doing um, ADR remotely which was was just like pulling teeth because you just can't get good frame lock until Source Connect brought out their RTL uh, thing and that, that kind of changed everything so that was great but in essence high score has just kind of disappeared. I, I am getting inquiries for doing new castings now that, that uh, are coming up for when people are uh, looking to come out of the lockdown. Gravy has been, um, well I mean Gravy is an online training platform so we've seen a large um, spike in interest from people um, who want to, you know, use this time to, to you know, to to grow their voiceover careers, to retrain, to go and redo their home studios. Um, so that's that's busier than ever, and of course, reattendance being a virtual events platform has just gone through the roof. So, I mean, I would say weirdly, um, we're one of those few sets of people who are busier now during the, the pandemic than we were before.
1: Now oh, that's nuts. And but congratulations, that's wonderful. And so you touched on a little bit, but um, what other genres of VO do you specialize in? If you haven't mentioned it yet, and what sort of trends are you seeing, both in your own work and maybe in the industry in general?
3: Yeah. Um, so I mean, we have quite a, a wide-reaching view of the of the industry, of course, because of the you know the different things we do with rates and and. Uh, just being connected with a lot of different casting directors and and voice directors and and companies and what we're seeing is increases in things like uh the more corporate type stuff so so things like e-learning um ivr and it's all being done through the home studios as soon as the lockdown came there was this huge race uh in the uk where agents were just trying to find voice artists who had who had good home studios, you know? And what also seemed to happen is they all started to break their own rules about about being exclusive with individual people, and all of a sudden, they just said, you know what, screw exclusivity, we need to get people on our books who can really do the work. So that's been a really interesting shift in the industry. I've seen quite a lot of video games being farmed out to individuals in their home studios as well, Uh, mainly from the smaller people, I have to say, uh, the the smaller um, production companies, sorry. Um, rather than the larger ones. Um, but even they, at, at times, are also doing different things. So we interviewed Troy Baker, for those of you who, who didn't see, who, uh, at the One Voice Conference, who arguably is the biggest name in gaming um, on the planet. And he was saying that um, he built his home studio and he was expecting to, you know, go and learn a new language or something. And he's been busier than ever before as well. And I think, I think the, what's happened is that there's been a polarisation in people going to hire voice artists who have proven experience, excellent home studio facilities, and people are relying on expertise now rather than taking a chance on, uh, on people who are at the start of their industry. That's not, um, that's not blanket, of course, there's always exceptions, but that's what we're kind of seeing. Um, for me personally, I've also started to see um, ADR jobs come in, um, which are remote jobs using different technology, uh, especially with Source Connect's uh, new products there. And I also um, do quite a lot of work uh, in the in different versions and different character stuff, like animation. Most of those were paused um, because most of those sorts of things happen ensemble in studios, so I think they're all just waiting for the for the lockdown to end.
1: All right. Well, that's a great segue into the next question. Uh, so what kind of skills and equipment do you expect of the talent who work with you, both pre and post-COVID?
3: What skills and talent? I, I think really um, from a casting and voice director point of view, it, nothing has changed in, in terms of skills. We're still just looking for excellence. You know, that that's always what we're looking for. And for me, I I never really look at longevity in the industry I just look for people who are great you know I don't particularly care if you've only been in the industry for three months or whether you're you know someone who's done it for 25 years if you're really really good and you sound brilliant and you know normally I work in character so if your characterization is great and you can act then I'm going to book you however long you've been in the industry. Right now, uh, obviously people are getting booked with home studios and so people who have a really good home studio setup are, are maximizing everything. But when we come out of Covid, you know, and we go back to normal, however, however that, that, uh, that implements itself, um, I think you're going to see more home studio jobs happening. Um, and actually the reason I think that is because all the people who didn't want to do recording uh, remotely before have been forced to go and do it during the pandemic. And now that they've been forced to do it, they see actually it's not as bad as they thought it was going to be. Interestingly as well, in the UK, the appetite for remote recording um, is is kind of like about two years behind where America is. America seems to, as a nation, just get it, you know. And the only ones that don't really like it are the, you know, the the, the East and west coast players who, who want you there, you know, in LA or New York or wherever it might be. In London... It, they were still pretty resistant to it, to be honest with you. There's still the idea that they want you to be in the studio within an hour or whatever it might be. So I think that I think that there's going to be a longer tail, and I think the people who who were resistant to it before will be less so in the future. So just like the events industry, I think you might see uh, more of a hybrid approach going. And so for those people who don't have home studios, I think it's still absolutely worth getting those nailed right now.
2: I think you're absolutely right, Hugh. In fact. I uh, I haven't really talked about this on the show, but I signed with my first L.A. and New York agent just a few weeks ago, right in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis because they were going to branch out finally to people who had home studios. So I think that trend's only going to continue and hopefully we will come across the pond too.
3: Mm, Congratulations, by the way.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, right, the the main reason you're here, Hugh, is to talk about the One Voice Conference, which I was happy to attend. And I will admit that I didn't have the, the... highest expectations going in not because I didn't trust you and your team I just didn't know what to expect I signed up two days before it actually happened because honestly I didn't really think about attending in person because it it just wasn't feasible for me financially or even just logistically with my schedule but when I heard about the, um, the completely virtual version I jumped on board and I have to say it was fantastic it blew every expectation I had out of the water and I think that's a pretty universal feeling to all the people that I met while we were, while we were there in the virtual rooms. So congratulations and just fabulous job all the way around.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I mean, so uh, we, we had a very kind of uh, probably unique experience of that uh, or, or with that. And I think because, uh, and it was purely down to timing. So if you, if you kind of cast your mind back to January and then February, vio atlanta was ahead of us um in terms of time i think their their conference was in march It was supposed to be in march wasn't it yep um and then ours was supposed to be in may so uh gerald had to make his decision much earlier than we did and so you know we and it was a huge disappointment to the industry when vio atlanta wasn't happening and so and then we kind of we, we were being really gung- ho about it, you know. I remember writing in the one Voice attendees group that you know no matter what this conference is going to go ahead and you know they're going to have to shut down London before we won't do it. <laughs> and lo and behold, they only shut down London you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> So we were kind of like, "Oh crap, what now?" So, so we, we talked about it and we, we, because we also own the reattendance platform, uh, we, we have a little bit of a head start in terms of virtual events. And I kind of got the feeling, I, w- I, was, I was speaking to some of my, my friends who were going to be coming uh, to the physical event and I was just you know, just, just having a chat with them and thinking about and finding out what their mood was and what their atmosphere was and it seemed like everyone was really down and, and depressed about the fact that there was just nothing to look forward to anymore. So uh, the first notification for us was when we had to cancel our in-person social event that was happening in London and then we started and we, we it was a real surprise to us we put out a little one question survey to the people who were going there's like 70 attendees or something uh and we said to them you know are you guys planning to come on wednesday to the social event and more than half said no and we expected it to for everyone to just be like yeah of course we are and that was a real uh, eye-opener so from that we'd kind of we kind of gauged that the the mood had changed so we then we then started asking people about the, the physical conference and it, it dawned on us that actually this just wasn't going to work physically. And plus, everyone was starting to get really scared and the mood had changed. Um, so we thought, OK, well, let's go and flip this into a virtual sense. And we, we talked about it for a long time. I have to say, at that point when we made the decision, I had absolutely no clue what we'd let ourselves in for. You know, it was, I really didn't. Um, but, you know, you, you've got to stand by these things. So... So we, we went and started planning it, and we we tried as much as we possibly could to try and create a virtual space that felt like the same experience you were getting. And it's, it's actually not that easy to do, especially with the social part of it and the networking and stuff. So, you know, I mean, we just, we worked really hard. We had to invest in a lot of hardware to be able to get it done. And we, we didn't just want it to be a load of Zoom meetings, because that would feel like a real cop-out, you know. So... So we we employed um, a couple of TV producers to come and tell us how they would do it, because in effect, what we were doing was creating like a a sort of pseudo TV network that had five channels that were broadcasting for nine hours a day for four days. So it was kind of it it was a big ask. Um, And these guys just gave us advice that we would have never got had we not spoken to them, you know, about production levels and, uh, and about how to run streams and we, we learned a lot in a very short period of time. And to give you an, uh, an example, uh, the previous year's conference, we had around about four hours dress rehearsal for that previous um, year's conference. This year we did six and a half days of dress rehearsal and even at the end of that I felt that we weren't ready. you know and, and it just went wrong the whole six and a half days it was it was just like chaos you know and the only time it went right was when it was live so we, we <laughs> I, I i consider ourselves kind of lucky you know um but yeah it, it was really good fun to do the response has been absolutely overwhelming i have to say um if you go and have a look at the hashtag on twitter ovc2020 uh it's just insane we, we had like over 2000 tweets that weekend and all of them are positive it was it was so cool
2: yeah, it really was fun. I have to say, you managed the technology perfectly. You did things, or maybe it was the producers you hired, you did things I hadn't thought of, like re- recording the the sessions, the talks, as you called them, um, beforehand, so that you could ensure there wasn't any hiccups with the digital streaming. But then having still the live question and answer at the end, and then convincing everybody to actually come back and do that, because basically all of your speakers had to commit twice to do the recording and then also come back live. Uh, and I thought that worked really well because it gave you that feeling, like you said, of being there live, even though a good portion of it or even two thirds of each talk was pre-recorded. but it really captured the the spirit of what a live conference is all about.
3: Yeah, well, thank you. I, I mean, the, um, that was a, a decision that we made really early on that, you know, we had 57 speakers and we just couldn't rely on 57 different people's internet connections and upload speeds. You know, it would just be chaos. So because people are actually paying for a ticket, there's an expectation that they're, that they're getting what they pay for. So we knew, I mean, at Gravity for the Brain, we've got a T1 internet line, which is just like super, super fast and solid. And so we knew that we would be okay. Uh, and we were running, as I say, um, uh, three live streams in a stream format um, from that one room. Uh, and we had no glitches there at all with the internet speed. Um, so we knew we were gonna do that, but we knew that it had to feel live. So uh, we have a green screen studio um, at Gravy anyway, uh, which we use for recording all of our courses and stuff. So we kind of hooked Peter up in that booth uh, in the green screen studio, locked him away for four days, and you know we fed him drink and food and stuff, <laughs> again. But he basically <laughs> he basically didn't come out. Um, and uh, and we, we uh, so so we had pre-recorded adverts. Uh, we got some some nice like motion graphics created for us and then we would we would run some adverts from our sponsors and we figured you know what actually we can do something a little bit more um philanthropic as well and so we contacted um a a local charity that we always support called centerpoint uh, which is a homeless charity because i mean the homeless if you think we're going through the ringer right now the homeless have no one to even beg from anymore and nobody's going out anymore so they're really suffering so we thought we could help there and then you know it seemed right to us uh, that we would support Greenpeace as well, because one of the probably only real benefits of this pandemic is that the environment is coming back to life and bird songs louder and you know the pollution's gone and so so we thought actually why not why not get get them involved as well? and they they were only too happy to come on board um and then so then after the adverts, we fed in the green screen, and this was the bit that was crucial to the whole show. Was making it feel live. So Peter was reading out tweets of people that were that were um, tweeting about specific shows they'd just watched. Peter was also um, he had a half an hour break in between every set of uh, announcements he had to do. So he was actually watching the streams, and going and commenting on what had just happened, and then introducing the person that was then coming up, and that really helped to give the show a feeling of it actually being live and not just sort of TV. So then we played in the 40-minute thing, and then we had the live Q&A spun in at the end as well. And again, that kind of, that gave that live feel. So um, it it was a difficult thing to plan in, but once we'd found the kind of magic formula, um, we just repeated that, you know, for all of the sessions, and it worked pretty well.
2: It absolutely worked. And I especially appreciated the uh, personal shout-out to me, but I think it was during the, the, opening, <laughs> the opening comments where you mentioned my haircut, so that was nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you saw, the, you saw the light and came over to the dark side with your shaved head, and I, I appreciated that.
2: Exactly. Although I must admit, it's been 12 days now, and I pretty much have a full head of hair again. It's kind of ridiculous. I'm basically a shaved ape.
3: Well, do you know what, though? I, I, I think people should take advantage of this while no one can see them. So your next challenge, Paul, is to grow your hair back And then shave it in Mr. T style. That's what I'd like to see from you. Oh, the mohawk! I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think you should. Why the hell not? Right? It'll be funny. Of course.
2: Mrs. Paul (laughs) Stefano.
3: I tell you what. If you do that, I will donate a hundred pounds to the Centerpoint charity. How's that?
2: That's a good idea. Okay. I'm. You're on. on.
3: (laughs) All right. Good man. (laughs) All
2: right. So you mentioned some of the some of the challenges, but what would you say were some of the biggest challenges of putting on an online event such as this?
3: The biggest challenge was probably something you mentioned earlier on, which was um, convincing people that actually this was going to be a conference worth attending. Uh, Because I mean, it had never been done before. There was actually an event that happened, I think in 2012, that John Florian did, which was a virtual conference. Yeah, we talked about that in the last
2: episode. What was it called,
3: Sean? Uh, That was voice over virtual. That's right. The only difference between that one is that it wasn't live. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we how we were allowed to say that it was the world's first live virtual voiceover conference. So that's that, that's why that what that phrase came up. Um, but no one had done this before, and you know people didn't know what to expect. And I think the, the people's main thought when they think about online and virtual is Zoom, right? And you know, is one hundred and fifty pounds or two hundred dollars or whatever it was, is that worth? you know, going to for 30 Zoom sessions, or is it just boring, you know? So I think that was the biggest challenge we had to overcome was sort of pre-educating people that actually this wasn't gonna be like that and it was gonna be like a conference and it was gonna be interactive and, and live. I, I think that was, once we'd overcome that, that obstacle, that was, the, uh, that, that was the, the biggest thing that we had to overcome. I, the biggest tech challenge for us was a really strange one. Um, so if you imagine we had a camera well if I, if you saw the opening ceremony we had two cameras and one thing that I just hadn't even thought about before this is that you know most computers have got a HDMI port uh, in their in their computer right and you connect your your external monitor to it or whatever you do what I didn't realize and this is so daft is that they are out only you can't it's not an input mm. they're only outputs mm. so getting a camera signal into the computers was actually really hard and we ordered loads of hardware um to try and do it um it was actually really easy to find hardware for sort of professional level like tv level you know but for consumer level where we're we're streaming at 1080p there's very little around and and what actually happened was we found um we went to the, the live streaming uh, gamers who are streaming their game apps on, on things like Twitch and Facebook or whatever, and they have the solution. So we, we ended up buying these live stream gaming cards, and that was, that was what happened. The second thing that was very difficult was that we didn't even realize uh, is the compute power that you need to be able to run streams like that. So right in front of me as we're, as we're running this now, I have a MacBook Pro and for various reasons uh in terms of you know the, the fact that we're doing a lot of video editing all the time this particular macbook pro is the, is the highest one you can find like the highest spec one you can buy from apple you can't buy a bigger laptop than this and even that when we loaded in those game things said you don't meet minimum requirements <laughs> wow. so yeah i know so so when we were running the stream uh, i don't know if you saw this there were three there were three different streams that we run um, which had some audio glitches in and uh, they were actually running on my computer um, because my my Mac just literally couldn't handle it it couldn't handle that much processing power and so I think the day before uh, we ended up buying uh, these new huge Apple things that have got um, that have got graphics cards in them so technically once we'd worked that out everything was fine from that point onwards.
1: Wonderful, so um, what were some of the other biggest surprises you dealt with? Let's, let's talk about a positive one this time.
3: Mm, yeah, sure. Uh, I think the biggest positive for me about the whole conference was the speed networking events. Um, did you guys go on those? I did, yeah, every single one, and one
2: even till midnight, which I thought was late, till I remembered <laughs> it was 5 in the morning for everybody in the UK still on.
3: Right, <laughs> right. So, uh, so and this, was, this was the brainchild of um, Jasmine and Harvey. So what we basically did was we got um, we used Zoom for those because it's a stable platform for a lot of people, and we used their breakout rooms feature. We we created like fifty rooms, and then we renamed the rooms just cool things like you know the beach and the bar and the dungeon and you know so you could mm-hmm. you could be in these funny little rooms, and we put five people at a time into each room automatically, and then fifteen minutes later we kicked them out again. And then we put them into a new room with five new people. And we had no idea how, how that would go. But it was, like, it was a bit like speed dating, but kind of speed networking. And it was probably the single most successful thing that we did there. And people absolutely loved it. And, and as Paul said on the last one, um, it started at 9pm UK time and went through till 5 in the morning. And wow. I mean, for, for, a, for a social session, I've never heard of anything like that, you know, uh, online. It was so fun uh i I, on the saturday I, i sort of popped in my head in for an hour just to go and have a look around and be social and i stayed till two in the morning and i was i was drunk as hell by the time i got that it was it was just insane but it was really really good fun and so much so that we're we're incorporating that into our our monthly socials now at gravy for the brain because the demand is really there for it so it's good fun
2: yeah, I think that worked out really well, and uh, hats off to Harvey, who at least the first night, I think that you only initially had scheduled one, correct? And That's then right, yeah. You added the other ones afterwards, and, and Harvey was manning the the controls for most of that, but then I know Rob and Helen uh, jumped in on the one night to, to take over, so kudos to
3: all they of did. them. They did. Do you know i have to laugh at harvey because like he's so creative that he he every day every like different time he had a different suit on i think one of them he was wearing a black tie he was when yeah. he was wearing like a sort of club tropicana t-shirt and and had got all these like weird plastic f- like palm trees next to him and stuff it was just bizarre and that was all in but, his, uh, his he, flat or his house or no. yeah he, he's just really creative like that you know he's a decent chap. Just
1: there's a prop closet and a wardrobe cart right behind
3: him <laughs> I know. I kind of want to know what else is in there. Like if we'd have done a fourth (laughs) night, what would he he have come as, you know, like a giraffe or something?
2: Well, you talked about the biggest surprise, which sounds like it was also the biggest win of of the whole conference. Was there anything that made you say, "Okay, we can never, ever do that again?
3: No, no, absolutely not. I I mean, aside from things like, you know, never have a computer that's not man enough to do it anymore, you know, that kind of thing. I think that, in fact, there is one thing that I know that we have to change um, for the next one, uh, which we didn't really see coming. The, if you remember back, this, this used to be a physical conference, and it was a UK-centric conference. Um, so we had made a good attempt to try and make the, uh, the diversity of the speakers, uh, the ethnic diversity of the speakers, and the gender diversity right for the UK market, and so we'd matched that kind of diversity with the actual stats from the UK and of course we then put it online and started selling tickets to America and immediately we got that bit wrong so definitely something that we are going to be looking to do in the future is make sure that our our diversification of speakers is more appropriate gender wise we got that pretty nearly right I think it was 42% uh, women but we could still do better there and, and go for 50-50 as well. So that's something we're gonna work on in the future. Um, but aside from that, I mean, everything went really, really well, you know? So, so I think, I think we've, got, uh, uh, we, we've got the exit survey back. We're, we're having a look at everything that people said. And in general, people just kind of dug it, you know?
1: So you announced that the content as well as past One Voice conferences will be available to ticket holders. How long is that gonna last? And can people purchase the content now, even if they weren't attendees?
3: So the great thing about reattendance is that um, we we configured it so that you had immediate replays. The access to two thousand and eighteen and two thousand and nineteen was really just a um, well. Actually, I mean we did that because we just wanted to help people out who were either bored at home or just needed new you know inspiration or whatever. I mean there was so much content at this year's One Voice that we almost didn't need to do it. But the answer is everybody who bought a ticket. You know, we're not going to take it away from them. Uh, they can just go and watch it. I'll tell you one of the really interesting things about that is is the the long tail um, ROI on virtual events is incredible, and this is a true stat. Uh, and I, I know this stat because I did a, a, a webinar for an events company yesterday, where we were talking about creating uh, successful and engaging virtual events uh, through reattendance. And so I, I pulled these stats out. So we get we get analytics from One Voice, um, sorry from Reattendance, and the analytics from One Voice. Have a guess how many page views we got across the four days? What would you think, Oof. considering that there was three hundred and sixty-six, uh, three hundred and sixty-seven uh, attendees? Let's see times. 20 Couple thousand mm. yeah it, it was thirteen thousand nine hundred wow. wow Isn't that unbelievable i know i couldn't believe it and so uh and i think it was 19 of the of those page things have been um since the event wow. so people are really interested in the replays they're going back and re-watching things and yeah we're just uh, there's no reason for us to take that away from them you know
2: that's great awesome So, Hugh, thanks for being here once again, and congratulations once again on the successful One Voice 2020 2020 conference. Mm -hmm. What are your plans for similar conferences in the future, and have you done anything to help adapt this format to some of the other popular VO conferences that are out there?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, So, uh, there's there's, uh, a few things we've been doing. Uh, the first thing is um, Dervla and Tanya's conference uh, V O North. Uh, that is happening, uh, I believe, in October, and I think they're using the reattendance platform as well. Uh, in what capacity? I don't exactly know at the moment. Um, in fact, what you should do is get Dervla and Tanya on as a guest because um, they're pretty cool. Uh, so either, I mean, I'm really, really hoping that by that point we can all get on a plane and and you know go over to Toronto and and uh, join in with the festivities and the fun there. Um, I went to VO North last year and it was so much fun. Um, mm-hmm. There's a really a really positive vibe there. In fact, you were there, Sean, weren't you?
1: Yes, I was. It was great to see you.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 it was pretty cool. Um, so hopefully we can all get there um, to, to Toronto for, for this one. But I think they are um, planning to use uh, reattendance either in a hybrid way or a virtual way. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And then the other thing that's happened, um, which we were really really surprised about and it's coincidental that i'm on this podcast that i can that i can kind of reveal this on your podcast i suppose if that's okay is that um after the success of one voice uh, the virtual conference we have literally been inundated with requests from people from america to go and do one voice again for america and I think one of the reasons for that is that uh, originally this was, you know, it was a UK conference and most of the content was UK centric. The keynotes were all uh, UK people, you know, and, and it was, we did move the time schedule so that it started at, I think it was 1pm till 9 Yeah, thank you for that. uh, Every day. (laughs) Yeah, but, but but that worked for, for, you know, people on the, on the East Coast, but you know, that's still four in the morning for people in LA, right? Right. And so we've decided to do it. So we're gonna do um, the second One Voice Conference of the year, um, which is gonna be One Voice Conference USA, which is gonna be happening live and virtually in the same kind of format. Um, uh, and it's gonna be between the 13th and the 16th of August, uh, wow. 2020. Yeah, awesome. I'm super excited. That is huge it. news. It is, uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna run this on Central Time. Um, so, uh, I think we'll probably start, you know, like 10 do it like 10 till six type schedule. Um, so that if you're, if you are in LA, it's still, you know, it's still not too early to get up. Um, but we're going to run it all the same. And this time, uh, all the guests are going to be completely U S centric. Um, the keynotes are going to be U S centric, and obviously it's going to be on U S time. So, you know, fingers crossed it all goes well, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Hugh. And congratulations on the success of the One Voice Conference. And just thank you so much for trying so hard to offer these incredibly high quality resources to talent all over the world. So thank you.
3: Oh, uh, you're so welcome. And, you know, I thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope maybe I could be the first person to come on three times in a, in a couple of months. Who knows? <laughs>
2: let's do it. We'll bring it back on once I have that mohawk rocking.
3: <laughs> yes, let's definitely do that.
0: Walgreens. Because it's flu season, and you live in a place with doorknobs and handrails and, you know, people.
1: We tried booking a vacation rental on one of those other websites. They don't always tell you everything.
0: The stars take it to the red carpet.
1: We are back live from the red carpet. California leads the way for change in America, and so does Kamala Harris.
0: Rated M for mature. Claire Redfield.
1: And who exactly are you? So, yeah, what hashtag should I use to describe a grown man in a tuxedo wrestling a goat?
0: And prior to 1933, many of them belonged to a variety of political parties that were now outlawed in Germany.
1: This is the story of how Q got curly. Quinn was crazy about curls. Curly fries, curly straws, curly-haired dogs. Hey, Jay
0: Michael here. Thanks for listening to the VOMeter podcast. It's one of my favorites. If you're looking for a great demo like the ones you just heard, check out jmcdemos.com for more information.
1: Well, thank you so much, Hugh. That was so awesome, and congratulations on all the hard work and the payoff from the One Voice Conference. It really sounds like, I mean, seriously, you like. I unfortunately didn't attend, but you guys are giving me a serious case of FOMO. <laughs> it yeah, sounds like it was a wonderful event.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I think just what the community needed at this point in time, because it really gave everybody that sense of community they were missing from canceled events like VO Atlanta and Camp VO. And APAC, I was counting earlier, I would have been at five different conferences between March and September, and now it looks like none of them are happening.
1: That's nuts. I know. And we've got some coming up in the fall. I know there's, there's Voice uh, or VO North in Toronto and then uh, MAVO, or the Mid-Atlantic VO Conference in Herndon, Virginia. So hopefully those are still going on, but honestly, it's still too early to tell. Yeah, I'm pretty
2: excited about the One Voice America, though. That sounds like a a great idea, and I'll probably look into that as well.
1: Very cool. And I did like your points about kind of maintaining that, like, uh, helpful information about international networking, you know, the the opportunities there. Because I feel like we are kind of in our own little media bubble. And just recently, people were asking, like, how do I market myself to international markets? I was like, well, you type (laughs) insert country, agency, insert country, voiceover producer or whatever. And so... And go yeah, but if there. you meet
2: those people, even virtually, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. So that wraps up this episode of the VO Meter. Measuring your voiceover progress. Everybody stay safe, stay clean, and uh, keep those
1: masks handy. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the VO Meter. To follow along, visit us at www.vometer.com.
2: We'd also love to hear your comments or suggestions for the show, or if you have a questionable gear purchase, tell us all about it on our Facebook page or on Twitter at The VOMeter. meter